Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. People often ask me where to find grants, so I tell them about Instrumental. Instrumental makes my grant searching process go so much faster. The system has so many features and data right there, and they'll even walk you through setting it up to help you get the most out of the software. Instrumental brings all your grant prospecting, tracking, and the ongoing project management under one roof. In fact, I've partnered with Instrumental to give you a free two-week trial and $50 off your first month. Go to TeresaHuff.com slash Instrumental, that's Instrument with an L, and start your free trial, and you can use the code GWSPOD. Give it a try and let me know how you like it. Hey friends, welcome. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about the importance of clarity in your grant writing, in your work, in your communications in general. Clarity is so important, but it starts with making sure you are clear yourself. Because if you're not clear, you're probably just conveying confusion to other people. And it just creates this cycle of misinformation and misunderstanding. And when you are unclear in your nonprofit work or in your grant writing work, that really holds you back from making the impact that you could. People won't support what they don't understand. And if you are unclear, they can't understand it and they don't want to be a part of it. It's not compelling. This week, I am sharing with you an on-air strategy call with someone who had started a nonprofit. And I absolutely love doing these calls. It's one of my favorite things. I could do these all day long. But today, I am talking with Dushima. She is from Nigeria, and she was inspired by her father's legacy and the impact that he made. And because of that, she started a nonprofit because she saw a disconnect in the community and a gap there that she felt like she was compelled to fill the need. And that was a wonderful thing. But on this call today, first, we really had to dig into what that meant, what she meant by helping bridge that gap and helping people find the connection between their needs and the resources available to them. So we talk about that. And from there, then we're able to design a short-term action plan so that she can gather more information quickly from the community directly while serving them at the same time, as opposed to trying to guess at what they want, spending a ton of time building the service, and then realizing, oh, that isn't what they needed. So we decided to start with her big goal and then reverse engineer it in small steps. That will give her information to be able to move forward. And finally, she asks a great question. She wants to know if I have any insights about why her grant for a much needed idea wasn't funded. 
For all three of those points, it all boils down to clarity and impact. Let's dive in. And I used to work for the government in health insurance, and um, it was about providing quality health care at affordable rates. And then a couple of years ago, my dad passed, and at his funeral, I saw how people reacted. A lot of people said how much he had impacted their lives, how much meeting him had changed them. And I thought, I said, what do you do with your life? You know, you can't keep number crunching and what have you. I noticed that, okay, he was was in the academics. He was a lecturer. So he met with his students one-on-one and was able to impart knowledge. So I said, that's what I want to do. I want to leave impact. I want, when I meet people, I should be able to leave you better than when I first met you, whether in your situation, whether just a kind word. So that was what drew me to nonprofit. Also, when I had my first daughter about um, 20 years ago, I had a postpartum hemorrhage. I'd been working in the health sector. I had access to a consultant, um, obstetrics and gynecologist, and a very highly trained midwife. And still, I suffered from postpartum hemorrhage, and I almost died. And I said, oh, there are so many women who don't have access to this, and they're just slipping through the cracks. And so those are the kind of things that drew me to, to nonprofits, to be able to fill in the gaps. So finally, after... 15 years, I decided to leave my government job and um, face face this. What a beautiful way to carry on your dad's legacy and to yeah. extend that in a way that is true to your skills and experiences, but still carries on that outreach to impact others. So tell me a little more about the nonprofit itself. So, okay, I'm very into ideas. When we talk Ideas come to mind very easily, how things can be better, how tweaking little things can, you know what they say about um, small hinges, swinging open big doors. And I kind of buy into that because I notice that just small changes can make a large difference. And I like simplicity, which is why I was drawn to you. I like simple things. I don't like um, flourish and what have you, just simple easy to understand, easy to do, but big impact. So I decided, why don't I get into, we have so many NGOs that do um, specific things. So what I decided is I have ideas. I'm able to connect the dots. So why don't I register an NGO that brings different NGOs doing different things to bridge the gap so that we can have um, larger or more impact on the society. Now, many people want to help, but they don't know how to find these NGOs. Many people have money they want to donate, you know, time, they want to volunteer, but they don't know how to get these NGOs. So that's kind of what I do. Presently, I'm working with a creative NGO that is into creative things. But right now they're doing something in agric which is like like me. So we're working together to provide skills and opportunities and trainings to youth ages 8 to 35. 
so that they can have alternative skills. You know how the economy has been for Nigeria. You may or you may not know. It hasn't been easy. So we're trying to offer alternative skills to the youth so that it's not just about, oh, I finished university, I have a degree and I can't work. But, you know, maybe I can farm. Maybe I can have a farm behind my house, you know. So there are just so many things that you can, opportunities that you can offer other people. And when you collaborate with others, the platform becomes a lot larger and more people can assess it. Right. It sounds to me like something you mentioned earlier, that you looked for gaps in the community and you looked for the gaps of areas that are not being served right now and tried to identify those and pinpoint how you can make a difference in those. You see, you, you took what I said, like, and just simplified it. You just made it. You just made it beautiful. <laughs> oh, good. I like, like you said, I like keeping things simple. Let's break it down. Tell me, have you started your nonprofit officially, and how long has it been running? Yeah, uh, I I started it in 2020 officially. Informally, I've been helping other NGOs. I've been working with widows, vulnerable women outreach. I've been doing that for years. But I actually just registered it on the 4th of November, 2020. Okay. And that's been approved and is official now, correct? Yes, it's official now. Okay. Have you ever documented this work that you've been doing? You said for years that you have a lot of experience with this population and this type of work. Do you have kind of a collection of that where you have compiled it to at least have a record of your background? Not per se, you know, you, you know, I just go in, I do, you know, I do what I can do. I think this particular um, collaboration that I have, the first one that I'm documenting and um, actually going out of my way to start registering something on IG. But before now, I just go help out, give direction and, you know, do what I, I, I could. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it sounds like you definitely have a heart to serve and to help in the community already. And now you're taking that in a little more formal structure. Yes. Okay. So when you look at the nonprofit five years from now, what would that look like? Where would you like it to be? Well, five years from now, I definitely want to have made a lot more impact because like I have my plans rolled out. When I was in secondary school, I think we offered almost 25 to 30 subjects. Our principal believed in the Spartan life. So we did metal works, we did electrics, we did ceramics, farming, apart from biology and what have you. So that was, it, it, it gave me an idea. I know what they call tuk-tuks. I'm sure you've seen them in India, their mode of transport. We have them here, like tricycles. Okay. Yeah. So anytime I entered one, I asked the drivers, I said, what do you do apart from this? Don't you want to go to school? Is this the only thing you you intend to do with your life? And invariably, I found that most of them wanted to go to school. Some of them wanted to be painters. Some of them wanted to be something else. And I realized that so many people wanted to be something else. So one of the things I want to do is provide a space, a safe space where you can come and experience these things. 
You can try your hand at ceramics, sculpturing. You can try your hands at electronics. You can try your hands at mechanics and see if it's something that pleases you. It's an alternative source of income. And then also with like, I'm also a retiree. I know I don't look, I don't look that age, but I retired from my government job. And I realized that um, retirees also want something else to do. Maybe you've retired and you've always wanted to paint. We offer you that platform to bring out your creative side that can also bring you money. Because while we support the creative, we also need to support skill acquisition. So that's what I'm that's where I'm looking at providing the experience so that it gives you clarity on what you want to do. Is that something you want to pursue? I mean, you look at some paintings and some people are earning six figures and they didn't know originally that they, they could paint. And sometimes it's just for healing. You know, we have so many IDPs. We've gone through rough patches in our country. And sometimes just the opportunity to paint or to journal or to write is healing. So those are the kind of opportunities I want. I see myself uh, providing safe spaces for creatives, artists, and just anybody. Okay. So it looks like you are trying to connect between the needs that people have and their experience and skills to help them find good, creative, safe outlets to use those. I'm really loving you. <laughs> Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. okay. I'm just picturing like these boxes, the need or the gap that people are feeling plus their unique talents that they have equals the work you do to help connect them to those outlets and opportunities and places they can serve. Yeah, that's very well put. Okay. Just want to make sure I'm clearly understanding the direction you're going with this. So what would a program look like for you? Do you have a formal structure yet for your programs? Or is it still just kind of trying to plug in as you see needs? I have things written down. I'm thinking master classes, masters at their craft, like obviously spaces, studios, like a ceramic course. To learn ceramics, you must have a studio. So we provide that will provide you the easels, the paints, and then the master classes so that you can just come express yourself and see if that's something you want to continue with. Is this more to help people find jobs and careers or is it for enrichment and creative outlets or is it a combination of both? It's a combination of both. Okay. If it's just an outlet you need, that's fine. But um, I think a lot of people would, especially the young ones, because a lot of people come out of school and they don't get jobs for years. So, I mean, like Oprah said, find what you love and get paid for it. So you're trying to help them connect the dots in whatever way they need. Yes. I'm wondering, have you explored what's available in the community? And is there a low cost way to test this out with your target clientele? For example, if you were to open up an art studio right now, you'd need a lot of funding, a lot of supplies, a lot of money to get that off the ground, not really knowing for sure, is this what people want and will they use it? So is there a shorter way 
to test it without having to invest in purchasing an art studio and everything that goes along with that, assuming you don't have one already? Yeah, I think if I could just get them the art supplies and um, talk to people who would want to do pro bono work for the masterclass, I don't think we need more than just the social media awareness and um, the art supplies and then the basic classes for starters. Mm -hmm. But then if it's something that you want to do continuously, you know, you have to have space. Mm -hmm. And then as as it grows larger, you'd want to affect more and more people. But for starters, um, I don't think we need that much. Right. Because I'm wondering, would there be a space you could use, say, a local school or church that might let you use some space once a week in the evening or even a community center or at a park if it could be outdoors? Is there somewhere, if you wanted to meet in person, that you could do it for free or low cost without having to have a big studio and maybe have some art kits that people could check out or you could somehow provide that you could keep your costs low? And then if you wanted to have some in person, you could. Yeah, like if, okay, like you suggested, if I were doing it outside, I could do it, yeah, especially for kids, I could do it in my, in my lawn. Okay, so that might be an option. And maybe you could have a kids group and an adult group. Yeah, you know, that's that's a great idea. That's a great idea. I'm wondering what if you tested this with like, say a four-week series. Okay. Or a six-week or whatever, and maybe have it on a certain topic. And then by doing that, you're going to be talking to people. You're going to be getting their feedback. You're going to be hearing the things they love about it. You're going to be hearing things like, oh, this was great, but I wish we had this. Or next time, I'd really love to try that. And you're going to be getting ideas. And you can take that feedback and incorporate it to do it again. And you can also ask them, hey, was four weeks enough? Was once a week about right? And they'll tell you. They'll say, I'm just too busy. I'd rather it be once a month. Or they might say, I love this. I wish we could do it three times a week for two weeks so that I can continue in my project. Like they'll tell you, but what if you just pick something to start, kind of a low cost, low container, set that boundary to test it, get a few people who are committed and excited to come that you know will come. Like you could open it up if you wanted, or you could limit the enrollment for this first sort of pilot group. It's up to you and just test it out and run a small short group and see, and then you can go from there to determine, okay, what should this look like in the next phase? How does that sound? Okay, Yeah, that sounds lovely. That sounds very doable. Yes. And you could even have one group for kids and one group for adults if you wanted to, or a group for teens, Okay. depending on if you wanted to break it up by age group, or you could just say whoever, (laughs) depending on your capacity. And I don't know what kind of interest you have from people already. If you have people saying, yeah, I'd love that. I'd love to do classes, but you know, depending on those questions and those containers, then you could establish that around it to best fit your audience. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's that's doable, definitely. That'll be okay. That'll be something to try. Yeah. Okay. So you could say even like give yourself a three-month window, and this is what mid-May, so May, June, July. 
maybe by the end of July or by mid-August, you want to have run one of these programs. So that gives you maybe a month to kind of organize what it's going to look like, start your social media, start getting enrollment. Mm -hmm. Then maybe the four weeks or six weeks, whatever you decide to run the program. And then that would wrap it up and kind of get their thoughts on what to do next. And then you can decide where to go from there. Okay. Yeah, I could do that. I could do that. That's a lovely idea. Okay. Now let's talk about the supplies and how you would get funding for those and how you could find things, keeping it low cost and keeping it doable for the people involved. Would you charge a minimal fee to do it? Would you get donors from local businesses? Do you have funding and supporters already? How are you going to fund this initial test program? Okay. Like, um, apart from my NGO, I also do business consulting on the side. So one of the things is um, you offer people in the community an outlet like a CSR, corporate social responsibility angle. So, okay, make those donations and then that's tax deductible for you. And then some people just want to help. It happens to just fall in line with things they or things they're interested in or things they're excited about. So, yeah, I think I could get donations from businesses around and um, from people who want to do CSR. Uh You're offering them a tax deductible option. In addition, you're offering them the chance to enrich someone's life. Right. And I would really frame that in a way that highlights the benefits of what you're doing and the impact they can help make. Yeah. Okay. If you really clearly convey why this is needed in the community and why this is important and what the difference will be because of this program. Okay. So I would make sure to highlight that impact and then also highlight if you wanted even like levels of sponsorship and would you promote, like, would you include them as a sponsor on your materials, on social media? How are you going to help appreciate them publicly to show that? Yeah that they are in partnership with this program. Okay. Yes, I I could do that in advertising. Yeah. They're going to like having that. It makes them look good because they're supporting something in the community and finding those who are maybe either doing similar work or that you can tell their values align with yours as far as wanting to help people with their careers, their mental health, their creative development, things like that, finding organizations that are very complementary to the kind of work you're wanting to do, that it's going to resonate more with them. Okay. Yeah. In fact, now as you speak about mental health, I I recall someone offering to volunteer on another project and he's into mental health. So that's just a perfect collaboration waiting to happen there. Mm -hmm. Yes. So start making notes of these potential people to talk to and maybe identify areas that they might especially be interested in supporting. So then as you're doing a program, you can speak to that area of interest for them. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I could do that. Have you developed any materials for this yet as far as like a write up or anything along those lines? Okay. I had done a write up for the mental health and why 
why kids go into drugs, the pressures. I know a couple of organizations who work with um, kids who are trying to get out of the drug habits. So, yeah, I think while I haven't finished working on that, I have started some write-ups on on that angle. Okay. Because I'm wondering if you created, have you heard of a one-sheet or a one-pager? Just kind of like a one-page graphic summary of your program. Yeah, just kind of a one-page brochure, basically. I'm thinking, what if you created one that would be more of a flyer advertising this initial program that you're doing? Okay. And that's what you're going to give to the public, your audience, potential people that are going to attend your classes. Okay. So that one is going to speak to when are the classes? What are we going to talk about? Here's what we're going to do. Here's what you're going to be able to explore, have fun. Here's what you need to bring, what to expect. So that's going to be for your audience that would be attending. All right. And then what if you have a second one Mm. that would be for potential sponsors and collaborators? And that's where you would describe, here are the mental health issues that our teens are dealing with. Mm -hmm. Here are the problems. Here's the gap. Here's how we can fill it. Here's how you can help. So you're just painting a really clear, concise picture, and that's what you're going to share with your potential sponsors and other partners, collaborators that might want to help be a part of it financially to support it, or your pro bono teachers that you might be approaching to ask to teach the classes. Yeah. So you're going to have two different materials. Does that make sense? One for the students attending and one for the businesses supporting. Okay. Why one, why you should, why you should attend Two, why you should support. Exactly. Okay. See, simple right there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You got it. Yeah. Okay. I'd really love to get the information so that. Yes. And if you just Google, like one sheet examples, you'll see it can just be a nice one page brochure, just simple, hit the high points of the program. Think of a fun, catchy name that conveys what it is and the benefit of it. Like think of something that's going to compel them and catch their eye and be like, oh, I want to be a part of that. Okay. Something that really shows that transformation. Okay. Mm -hmm. That'll draw them in and make it reflect you and your vision, you know, really convey that feeling that, Hey, this is something you want to be a part of. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I I, I could do that. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. Good. So it's your chance to get creative and show some personality and have some fun with it. I'd love to try that. It sounds simple. Yes, you can probably start with some great templates in Canva and that will help you get started, but then you can customize as much as you want. Do you have pictures of any of the activities you've done or of yourself actually working with people in some of these roles that you've been a part of in the past? Yeah, I do. Okay. Maybe even use one or two of those on the flyer just to show yourself in action. Yeah, I think I I could do that. How is this sounding? Does that sound like a good place to start as far as if your big vision is to make this impact, help fill these gaps so that people can explore, then let's back up 
and test this small piece of it. And then you can go from there to figure out the next step towards that big vision. Okay, yeah. All right, I could do that. All right, so is there anything else in particular where you feel stuck or unsure about how to move forward? Yeah, when, like I told you, I had the postpartum um, hemorrhage incident, apply for a grant. And obviously, if 20 years down the road, I'm still struggling with grant writing, imagine what I was then. But I had a lovely idea. And, well, maybe I didn't have the right lingo, you know, most grants applications have specific things they want to see, highlights you need to hit, and what have you. But it was a great idea because it fits our narrative. And just this year, I was talking to someone in the, a doctor in the um, nonprofit circle, and he was talking about working in uh, on a program that was rolling out exactly what I was talking about in 2004. So I was like, you see, this is an issue that we have. We have so many people who have great ideas, but because they are unable to package it in a way that the grant bodies want to see or hear, they often get passed over. You know, so what, what can you do about things like that? Because it was a beautiful idea. It was, a, okay, let me see. I think I wrote it. It was called Integrating the Rural Community, the Future of Maternal Healthcare. And you see, I was passionate about it because I almost died and I had access to the best healthcare possible. I mean, my consultant worked at um, in a tertiary institute. He's the top of the line. But in spite of that, I almost died, you know? So, and I, I'm like, how many women don't have access to this kind of thing and are just, are just dying? How many children are dying? I know. So you see, these are the kind of things that, that keep good ideas fall through the cracks just because grant writing is so hard or we don't know, you know? So that's, that's my pressing. That's a great question because there are so many needs out there that, I mean, I wish grants could fund all of them, but the reality is they can't. And so you bring up a really good point. One thing that it really comes down to is grant funders are looking to fund programs more than ideas. We have so many good ideas in the world and so many good things that we could do but those aren't tangible yet. Programs that are in place, that are up and running, that are already supporting the community, those are tangible. Those are actually happening. So grant funders are looking to supplement or be a part of programs that are in place and happening, as opposed to really good ideas. Because there is no end to really good ideas. You and I could sit here and brainstorm hundreds of ideas right now that would help serve the world and make it a better place. Mm. There's no end to those. That's not what grant funders are looking for. They don't want to be your first dollar or your only dollar. Mm. They want to support sustainable programs that are already established, in place, have other sources of funding that can support themselves without grant funding. So then when the grant comes in, it will help supplement and make it even stronger to be a part of it. 
The thing about grants is in the business world, you've probably heard of ROI, a return on investment. Return on investment. And when a business is looking to invest in something, they're looking for their return on their investment. In the grant world, when a grant maker is looking for their ROI, they're looking for their return on impact. And which grant, which nonprofit is going to have the biggest return on impact of that grant money? So they have to be good stewards of that funding and determine which of these is going to have the biggest impact. And if there is a nonprofit that has a good idea, but no program, that's a big risk because they don't know that there's going to be any impact. Mm. If you have a program in place, you're already serving, they can see, okay, they're already making this much impact. If we invest money into that, they can make so much more impact because of what they're already doing. Okay. Okay, so they're looking for systems to to strengthen. Exactly. And that's where a lot of people miss that. They try to get grant funders to support an idea as opposed to an actual program. Okay. Yeah, okay. With that, I can see why they wouldn't have gone with that. Even though you and I know the need is huge and that Mm -hmm. would save lives, that would make such a difference. But the program is not in place, so there's really nothing for them to actually support. It's just an idea. But if you have your program and you get that up and running, then there's something tangible that they can support and get behind and really be a part of. Okay. I, I get that now. And so that's why with what you're doing now with your nonprofit, I suggested do this small test program to get it running then you can grow it from there in the next phase and get it established. Mm. Then you'll have people involved and supporters. You can show those support options and those collaborators. Then you'll have an actual tangible program making Mm. a difference in the community to approach grant funders with and say, look, here's what we're doing. Here's the impact we're making. Here's how you can help make it even bigger. Okay. Okay. I get that. So you're setting yourself up for future grant funding by starting this program and testing it and starting to track. Make sure you keep track of everything, like how many people are coming, the kinds of comments they're saying, the feedback they're giving you, the difference it's making for them or for their kids. If you have children in the program, write those down and keep track of those things. So then when you come back later, you'll have that to pull from. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I can, Does that help kind of clarify? Yeah. It make me a lot more deliberate and intentional about making sure the systems are up and running. Yeah. Okay. The penny just dropped. Good. Exactly. Okay. So why don't we recap and you tell me your next action steps. Okay. After my talk with you now, I'm going to... Find space. I think because it's children, and like you rightly pointed, I could start with my daughter who is interested and I can provide space, um, safe space outside my lawn. I can invite children her age and then I can run the creative class. Like we can start with the art. I've already spoken to some artists so um, they can come and run the class for you said one month to six weeks. 
And then we see how the kids get their feedback, get the impact and review it and take it from there, at least for that aspect. But I'm also thinking that I could do some short online like sound bites for the same amount of time for older people so that I'm not just stuck with what you call it, physical. Okay, look at what happened with Corona. A lot of us couldn't meet physically. And also being on social media gives you a larger platform to reach other people who otherwise couldn't come to your physical location. So what I intend to do is to go with the painting and then maybe something on mental health, something short, succinct, and then see what the outcomes are. Yes. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was also going to ask you, would your adult population have access to be able to do online classes? Would they have internet and devices if you were to offer that? And some do. Some do. Okay. It turns out the average young person has access to online classes. Yeah, they'll be able to do it. Okay, good. Then, yeah, I would think absolutely you could test both. You could have one online and then one in person yeah. and go from there. And then with the online one, since you don't know what locations they're in, you could even just provide a supply list and say, before the class, here's what you need to bring and let them take care of the supplies instead of you trying to provide them for people and figure out how to ship them, how to pay for them, all those things. That's one option. You could provide them if you want to, but if you wanted to just start simple, keep the supplies simple and say, here are the three things you need, have a picture of them so they know exactly what to get or even have links if they wanted to buy them or, you know, it's up to you. Or if you want to find sponsors to pay for them, you could, or you could charge a fee for the class and have sponsors pay for scholarships. You know, there are different ways you could do that. But if you want to just start super simple, you could just say, here's what you need and then be able to provide that. And that's something you could even record. And then you've got it available and start building a library of classes. Okay, yeah. That they could watch later. Mm, That's something to refer to. Yeah, I think you could even offer that after you get a collection of classes, then you could have those to run again or have that library that they could log into to access. Okay, all right. Different ways you could go, but that's just kind of something to think about for future. After you get more information about what people need and want, then you can go from there. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a great place to start. It sounds like you have a good plan. You don't sound at all overwhelmed. You sound like that feels very doable. Yeah. Very reasonable. It's It's a good place to start. Good. That's the goal. Let's figure out where to start. Take that next step. And then that will give you more information, more data. I often say on the podcast that action brings clarity, Mm. but then also that clarity brings data, Mm. which brings more clarity, which allows you to take more action. So it kind of becomes a big cycle of taking action, getting clarity, getting more data, and then you can just keep going and polishing. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I, I really did get a lot of clarity today. Good. I'm so glad. Well, then I hope you'll follow up after you get this up and going and let me know how it's gone and what your thoughts are and what your next steps are going to be. I'd love to hear an update. Okay, I will. I'll do that. Okay, sounds good. We'll stay in touch. Thank you so much. All right, friends. I hope by now you are starting to see the power of clarity and strategic thinking. 
In Dushima's case, she first needed to get clear on the impact she wants to make with her nonprofit. Then she needed an action plan, and I like helping people find the shortest distance from point A to point B. That way, she could build momentum, she'll be able to develop community partnerships, and she can iterate her programs as they grow. That will give her more powerful leverage in the future when her nonprofit is ready to start applying for grant funding. As usual, let's wrap up with a challenge question. Is there an area where you are holding back because you have a lack of clarity? If so, we need to dig in and polish it up. If you enjoyed this episode, you can book your own one-on-one strategy session with me at teresahuff.com slash mentor. The world needs you out there making a difference.